Tommy, how you doing tonight? Doing well there. Joseph, how are you? Mr. Finley? Good, good. Um, so we want to talk about um, Mel Brooks. Let's do it. Um, Mel Brooks? Who's that? Go ahead. Talk about oh, it. Oh, fucking Mel Brooks. Man, it's a genius. I don't think... I, okay, mm. except, here's, except here's the thing about Mel Brooks. I think Mel Brooks, uh, honestly, uh, if it, just, just in an honest assessment, I credit him with two... F- fantastic movies, one great thought for a movie, and that's kind of it. He's very hard to watch to me. I go great thought, two great, and then one um, post 1980s that I I'm not sure if it was good or whether I just loved it as a kid. Which would now know what would spaceballs? Spaceballs. You know, I've never seen spaceballs. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's well the thing here's the thing about Mel Brooks. I, I, I was thinking about this on the way over here, and it's a little bit like. Um, Monty Python, and I'm not saying he's okay. like Monty Python in terms of the the particular sort of like his voice, but the, like with Mel Brooks, he is um, part '80s Catskills entertainer, right, and part nine year old. Okay, and 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 um, it's a part of it that kind of appeals to you as a nine year old, even the sillier shit. Right? Yeah, I mean it's it's some of it's very sort of like um, crafty. He's right. a very, very craft-driven person, and except when he's not, except when he's sort of ham-fisted. And he's and fuck, is he ham-fisted to shit? He really gets ham-fisted a lot. Yeah. And the thing, I'm going to draw back to the uh, uh, to um, your uh, comparison to um, Monty Python, Monty Python mm-hmm. and just say um, like, so for instance, I uh, when I was a kid, I love History of the World Part One. Yep. Which is now that it, now it doesn't survive. No, it's it doesn't. not that great. No, and and even then it got less funny as the show went on. Yeah, I would say the same thing is true of like the meaning of life. There's just a quality of people mm. who put together a movie based on a series of sketches, which yeah. is essentially what History of the World Part One. Yeah. That's just kind of it's just going to fall apart a little bit at some point, and they're and and being craftsmen, they're going to slide it to the end. So you watch the whole goddamn movie. I think the meaning of life to me it survives. I still I still like it, and the reason I like the meaning of life more than like the history of the world part one is the history of the world part one uh brooks's i think kind of disaster tries to to string together um different vignettes or different uh what do you call sketches i guess and yet have some small through line (laughs) through the whole thing whereas the meaning of life is just sketches right there's no, there's no through. Well, line there is the moon, the, the supposed meaning of life through line to it, but it's yeah. not important. It's not, it's not as important. But, but it doesn't feel like it has any weight to it. You just are watching yeah. wackiness go down. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, it's the thing. I'd like to see more of like Sid Caesar's show, where, where Mel Brooks is a writer, mm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and some of that stuff. Um, if you go to like, um, if you go to space, back to Spaceballs, um, there would be jokes like the guy um, Rick, uh, what the fuck, Rick Moranis. Is, Rick Moranis. He's playing the Darth Vader parody. Dark um, Helmet. Dark Helmet. Um, says to his stormtroopers, um, Comb the desert! And the next thing you know, there's a, an enormous <laughs> hair comb going through the desert. And then you, the camera pans over, and there's a couple of black stormtroopers, and they have like a pick, and they're picking through the desert. And it's like, that made me howl as a kid. It's, it's making you laugh now. I mean, it's actually those type okay. of things, right? Or like... Uh, uh, um, when um, there was a battle between Rick Moranis and the Han Solo character, I mm-hmm. think played by, I want to say Bill Paxton, 
and um, they pulled their lightsabers out, and the, the thing came out, and one was a little bit longer. And, and so Rick Moranis says, "I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Like this is this is sort of you know, it's like that's that's a nine year old, and yet it's kind of clever. Yeah. And, but that's that's not a movie that I think is great. But it's the last time Mel Brooks really made me laugh, which is a bummer. And I because gave him so when many fucking me, chances. Yeah. When he made me laugh, he did make me laugh. Life stinks. The Robin Hood oh, and Dead and loving dead, it. Dead and fuck me in the ear. Yeah. Robin Hood. Uh, uh, Men in Tights had the um, only interesting thing is Dave Chappelle was in that. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. He plays like a little John character. <laughs> so no, Dave Chappelle's presence in that movie did not make an impression. No, no, no. It's so terrible movie, so those but, are the bad movies. And so I, go ahead. Yeah. I think just just because we're saying this, and I think we are agreeing on what the two great movies are, and yeah, the, yeah. the one great idea is. Yeah. I think I think it's it's safe to say that the two great movies. One of the things that those two had in common was they had other creative input. I think that was part of it. There was a certain amount certainly of other one creative of input. Yeah, oh, yeah, both. You're right. Yeah, Richard Pryor and uh, on um, Gene well, Wilder. Yeah, and Gene Wilder. You know. Yeah. That, those two other comedic geniuses were able to put in kind of not not necessarily a halt, but but gave a direction or something. I don't know exactly, but it's noticeable. Yeah, I guess. So. I mean, it's sort there's of a like relevance. He needs to be reined. He needs to be reined in. Also, maybe it's that sort of because thing. I think because I think left to his own devices, he slides into the you call it the '80s Catskill, but it's really. To me, it's more like fifties or sixties or something. like no, that. No, him, a man in his eighties, he's doing the cast, doing yeah, the cast. Yeah, okay, you know, okay. Like, yeah, like no, Henny Youngman. He just slides yeah. over to this kind of ridiculous uh, kind of humor, unless he has somebody who's more relevant, sort of more in tune, but who, kind of pushing him a little bit in the other direction. I think that helped him a shit ton. I think it's the first time since the thirties that anyone who had that cat skills or vaudeville sensibility had any studio pull. Yes, and it was a little, yes. bit, it was a little bit dangerous. Yes, I don't think anybody knew what, what to do about it. Because yeah, he he goes. Into like Schmaltyville, oh. but on his own. Yeah, yeah. And married to Aunt Bancroft. There's a certain amount of Hollywood royalty backing him up. Here. Oh yeah. And I think there's for the longest time he was one of these people. I, you know, I guess he had the the the. Ooh, no, sorry. The glory of not being uh, expensive to make his movies or something like that. That probably helped a little bit. Sort of like Woody Allen. His movies are, are inexpensive, so their profit margin automatically sort of comes into play. I think he probably had that going for him for a while because he had a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also, anxiety wasn't so awful either, but it was still. Eh, yeah. uh, a silent movie. It was mm-hmm. a great idea. It didn't come. It just didn't come through. Right. Yeah, and and apparently Anne Bancroft really loved him. So it's like one of those. Those I was thinking about this relationship before we even were talking about this about three weeks ago maybe, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about like how that's an example of. I always think women are lying when it's like, what's what's the thing you want most in a man? A sense of humor. Uh-huh. Uh. But I was Van Bancroft, who had her own wealth. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be true. That might be that she, might very well be true. He really and, was and, that great to her. And the other thing, too, is I think, I think honestly, in person, Mel Brooks probably way funnier. Yeah, the movie with Mel Brooks. I think he's probably a funny guy to hang out. He's super funny guy to hang oh, out with party with. When he's like on comedians uh, uh, in cars getting coffee with Seinfeld, or he does a, like a, a guest right? spot, uh, a WTF, or a guest spot as himself and like um, uh, curb your enthusiasm. Super sweet and charming. Yeah, and he's just being himself. He, but he exudes funniness. I think the way Tim Conway did, like hmm. he thought, is, is Tim Conway into his act right now? And it's like it kind of, I don't know, but it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> the way he walks is funny. Yeah. You know, we talked about Don Knotts being yeah, that way. Like, well, there's that, there's that, in, that in, 
You can't, you can't uncapturable quality some people have. Ineffable, that. I think, is the word you're Ooh, looking for, sir. Oh, I sailed, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, delicious. And, yeah, and so, and and obviously, somebody who one of those rare instances where somebody who's an amazing writer, because he is an amazing writer. Yeah, I yeah. mean, all of our crit- criticisms are about like reining him in and you know all this sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. he's a he's an amazing writer. I think he's a very mediocre director. <sighs> I don't know about that. I really don't know about uh, that. I I think first he's, movie we're going to talk about is my proof on that. But that's not proof. I mean, look at some of the first films. Let's talk about like, uh, the first films okay. that were not so good All by right. some... spielberg or something. Spielberg. Spielberg made Duel. I mean, that was my guilty pleasure, but it's like, if that if he'd only made Duel... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what would we think of Spielbergo, man? Yeah, all right, all right. The old Spielberg yeah, roof. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's oh, Irish. Oh, Spielberg roof. Yeah. Sounds like an animal in a Disney cartoon. Okay. Anyways, so. So let's get. Oh, yeah, I think it was Mel Brooks. Brooks. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So Mel Brooks. So, okay, so let's start yeah, with. Chronologically, right? Yeah, we'll start with 1968's The, the Producers. So I think we're both in agreement. This is the movie we're calling a great. I think it's a fantastic comedic idea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, let's, <laughs> let's, actual, let's just go over that really quickly. Just the execution is balls. Okay, let's go. So we have, we have you know, uh, Zero Mostel as a producer. I fucking love Zero Mostel. I love I, I can watch him read Zero the phone book except in this case. Whether so. it's Fiddler on the Roof, <coughs> you got you The Hot Rock, uh, you got The so, Front with Woody so Allen. Good, so good. Okay, okay, so Zero Mostel is a famous uh, uh, Broadway producer. Who's, who's been sort of pushed to the margins, you know, of, of, yeah. of all Almost off Broadway, but he's still trying to play the game. Still and, trying to be relevant, and he can't. He can't. He's no. everything. He's he's not making any money, and so now it's basically a, a Ponzi scheme. Um, he's pulling like kind of like romancing local um, yeah. biddies, old ladies. Yes, old ladies. There's a whole scene dedicated to that. The yeah, you'll remember about Biala. The thing is, is, yeah, he's basically he's lost his ability to make money on on stage plays. Maybe and maybe there's a commentary that it's hard. To, it's almost impossible. Um, so what he does is, yeah, he sells shares in the play to people so that they'll make their money back at the end of the play. Well, the people but of are course, just old ladies who want him to go down, basically. That, I mean, well, that's, that's very it. obvious. But they're also after the money. They want the money. They want a return on their cashola, right? No, I don't think... I think you, I think you have that wrong because he's been doing this for a while and they just keep losing, but they're so old they get the company. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point. It's it's like the you know that old lady syndrome and the, mm. the sort of the Casanova in the form of Zero Mostel. <laughs> Zero Mostel. Who's a, a Casanova to that? Because they're all ninety. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a troll. You got to answer his rules three and, to get and, out that pwn. And you got Gene Wilder, right. who, who shows up one day basically to do an audit on you know something where he's he's written something off. Maybe he shouldn't have written off, and right. so he wants to clear it up, clarify. And he, he starts to put you know the the the, the thumbtacks to, to Zero Mostel, who's like, oh, who cares? Thumbs, you know, thumbscrews, dude. What is it? Thumbscrews. Thumbscrews <laughs> to Zero Mostel. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he. Uh, 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 you lost me. Sorry. Well, no, oh, he's just, he's trying. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to make the numbers match, and they, oh, yeah. and they don't match not by a huge margin. So, so zero Mostel, he, he comes up with this idea, this thought experiment, uh, and, and that's that um, if you create enough of a bomb, you can actually start making money. Right from but, the write-offs. Yeah, because people, people people will invest in it. They sell like I think they sell better than two hundred percent shares yeah. in the play or something like that. And the idea is, if you tank the play, if the play takes a shit, 
then nobody gets their money back, of course. And Mustel takes them up on this idea. Like, I mean, he turns it into a, a viable option to mm -hmm. start making money, and they go into a, this sort of uh, underhanded partnership, mm -hmm. right, to, to produce the worst play ever. So they go out seeking a, a, a playwright who they think is terrible. Like, <laughs> we find a bad script. They find a Nazi. They find a Nazi, you know, actually a Nazi, yeah. And, and um, it's he's he's written a play called Springtime for Hitler, which yes. is the most potentially the most offensive play ever. Has <laughs> uh, musical. It's a musical. It's a musical stuff. And and you know the idea is that people will, and you know that's the thing. Okay, so let's. Sounds fucking brilliant. Yeah. It sounds like it can't miss. Yeah, and then of course, if there's no tension, unless the film actually has it backfires and people start to love it, they start to see it as a satire. Oh, yes, right, right. It's, a, it's right? a satire of Hitler, right? All right, so so here I want to talk about things I liked. Okay. So he he had a 44 days shooting schedule. And he spent 14 days on the opening scene, the opening like four minutes of this film. Really? And it was Zero Mostel um, wooing all these 90 year old women. And they would like get up on a desk and he would sort of like wipe his, you know, comb over to the side and get sweaty. And he would do a sides Iago style, you know, <laughs> breaking the fourth wall to the yeah, camera. Sure. This is what you have to go through. Oh, and, yeah. and, um, <laughs> And and I I actually really found the opening very very funny. Mm -hmm. Like it was as I don't shocking is not the right word, but it was truly edgy. Yeah. Right. Um, the other um, thing that I liked was was when people started to get offended in in the, the the play audience to to the performance of Springtime for Hitler, their disgust was so oh hilarious <laughs> to me at what was happening. Uh -oh. um, I, I liked it. And there, those were just two scenes that I thought were played well. But, I, I mean, let's just slowly, because uh, we're uh, bound uh, to blurt them out, start me, blurting out the problems. Let, no, 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 no. Let me, let me tell you my fit, my part. Oh, yeah. That worked for me. I got to say, uh, Zero Mostel kind of worked for me. He's over. He's playing crazy over the top, Zero Mostel, but I kind of liked it. That being the case, I didn't care for, uh, what's his name? Gene Wilder. Wilder just kind of annoyed me. Um, I thought uh, the actual song number, Springtime for Hitler, was oh, yeah. it's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's a yeah. lovely song and dance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, I think, yeah. Even the Zero well, Mostel thing, I, I think you're probably right, but that character, the nature of that character, has to play off the character. You've never seen a more round, flat dynamic that's supposed to be happening, right. but Gene Wilder isn't just a flat character. He's boring. Yeah, and boring and, and annoying. And annoying, and, and it, it doesn't bounce back to yeah. Zero Mostel. So, yeah. so Zero Mostel looks like he's floundering all the time, when probably exactly you're right. Exactly, right. He's just he's playing it over the top, and it's there's nothing, there's nothing there to catch. Again, this makes no sense. It's Gene Wilder. Wilder. I mean, Gene yes. Wilder, um, a year before, because he can't do over the top. Had done the bit part in Bonnie and Clyde, oh, and he was one of the, the <laughs> hot sweet spots of that movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, something. It was just maybe it was like too highly conceptualized. Maybe I don't know. There's something. Yeah, there was something going. I don't know. <sighs> maybe that's it. You know, because the next two films, I think, obviously have high concepts in them. Mm -hmm. But once the high concept is announced, you get to you get to relax into a story that's funny. Right. That has the, the funny story lines. is funny. The the jokes are yeah funny and yeah. silly sometimes. I mean, actively silly. Yeah. So um, I I forget her name. She uh, mm -hmm. Meredith. I forget her name, but but um, the, the woman who plays the secretary is kind of laughing, funny. You know, uh -huh. she's a secretary in a um, in a bikini, basically for zero. Oh style. right, right. Yeah, so yeah, she's hot. So you could be. I, but you, even so that, you, it just begins. You can be goading in her direction. Yeah, I mean, if, if that had been. 
I, I don't know. I feel the same way you do. It was just a tiresome, tiresome movie. <laughs> the directing is bad. It just is not good. I mean, like, I assume you're losing so. the top half of some of the people's heads. Oh. <laughs> some shots. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It just looks, but you said there's a 45-day shooting script. Yeah. I'm going to say that's probably part of the problem, maybe. Maybe maybe 45 uh, think, just shows. I think you could have easily shot this in, in 45 days. I mean, it made a good movie in 45 days. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. But a lot it was, of those but, things are not, like, the direct director's issue either. I mean, it might ultimately fall on its head, but it's like a lot of this is assistant director work. So it's like, you can go out and shoot lots of things at once, but he you need a good editor too, and it wasn't edited well. No, no, it wasn't. No. The guy that got got to play Hitler. God, I know some people who think that performance is hilarious, and it's... It's potentially hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious on paper. I, yeah. You know, because because we both write, and so I think they got a flower child to play. You it. get that idea when when you 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 look at something and go, "This is bad," but let me. It's good on the script. I know it's good on the script. <laughs> you yeah. can just see. You can see yeah. the, the the sentence written out, and you go, "Oh, that's funny." Yes. Yes. Why didn't it work? Here? The Hitler screenplay writer, the Hitler screenwriter, the the writer. He yeah. sounds like a funny character. Yeah. He just didn't really funny in yeah. in the movie. Yeah, that's a hilarious idea. Of course. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Except again, there was something about the, the only time I found him funny was when he was in the audience being very literal, and he was like, "Hitler would never do that." <laughs> you know, it's like that was funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah if it yeah. bends, it's funny. Well, if it breaks, it's, it's not funny. The <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a big thumbs down. I mean, it's almost worth seeing just because it has this. Um, Culture around it. It's like I haven't seen the remake. I, here's one instance where I hear it's really good. I bet the remake is actually much better than the original. I, I trust the actors. Yeah, I love Nathan Lane and Matthew uh, Broderick. And, uh, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, um, Ferris Bueller. Sorry, it's ha- yeah, it's uh-huh. had the great success on Broadway and other places. So I, I'll. Um, in fact, I might even do this, Tom. I've been thinking oh, this year. Sounds. <laughs> let's make a remake, <laughs> a radio <laughs> drama remake. Radio play. I've been thinking this year that I'd like to read more uh, plays. Oh, okay. And uh, but, but what I always do when I get in that mood is I, I start ordering like Clifford uh, Odets. You know, and it's like, how about Sam Shepard and Newer? Okay. You know what I mean? So right, like, right, I'd right, like to right, see right. how this plays out on a script. Mm-hmm. Of course, that wouldn't be Sam Shepard. Long day's journey into Joseph, huh? Okay. Yeah. Well, no. Sure, man. You should. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, two other Mel Brooks films. And, you know, I guess Mel Brooks is one of those things, too. It's like the watchability, when they're good, and I think we agree that these next two are good, are is forever. Forever. And, it conti- yeah, you can watch them over and over again. It oh, They always, if somebody is willing or accidentally catches it, this has happened numerous times with young people, with people. I just didn't expect this from their character. Like um, um, Blazing Saddles, which is our first movie, yep. 73. Let's say that one's on. If they're passing through, they'll start laughing. Like, like, what is this? If they don't know who Mel Brooks is, because right. it's just it's just funny. It's just yeah. funny to everyone. Listen, that's how I think there's a thing about these two movies that they both have in common mm-hmm. is that they're both satires of a given genre of movie. And they're approached lovingly. And I think that's super important. It's interesting to me that that one the one I like just a little bit less. I like them both a lot, but the one I like just a little bit less is additionally a social satire. Yes, and I think it's great as a social oh, satire. Fantastic. But I wonder if the the thing that makes the other one, the second one that we have, or the third one that we haven't mentioned yet, that that brings that over the top is that it um it, it just concentrates. 
on what it is. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, absolutely. But it's also, but there's also a certain another element to it too. And we talked a little bit about it with the producers. Mm-hmm. Is that the first one, Blazing Saddles, is kind of it's more episodic in nature. It is like a bunch of, it's like a bunch of little sketches sort yeah. of strung together, but really well strung together. Yeah, and in a way that actually moves uh, the the plot forward in a recognizable plot. So right. I think it has that quality. Whereas the second, uh, the other movie, the the third movie that we're going to be talking about is more of a there's more of a coherence to the whole thing. That's the it, thing. I think it was more approached more as a single unit. You and I were talking about um, North by Northwest recently, and how um, you know it, one of the things about that makes that movie so kind of kind of magically confusing is that it was being written as they were shooting it. Right. And and I have heard that Mel Brooks actually is counterintuitive here in in, in the analysis, but that he actually is a bit of a stickler. For, yes. the, for the script he's written, yeah, yeah. and yet Blazing Saddles in many ways plays out like a film that's like, what? What do we do next? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and but yeah, it's, so, uh, it's so brilliant. The jokes are so fucking actually funny. Yeah, they are and, uh, amazingly funny. Yeah, and they're funny. They travel even regardless of today's sort of uh, you know snow the snowflake culture, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone everyone laughs at this movie. It's the movie, by the way, that even it is really in the last. 10 years, you know, um, on campuses. I've heard students say this. I teach at a college. Um, but but I've just heard a lot of people say this, like, um, they never mistake Blazing Saddles for something else. Uh-huh. So it's like if the conversation comes up, like, what about Blazing Saddles? Is that still, you know, all right? And it's like, yes, because yeah. it's just so obvious. And yeah. I'm, I'm really <laughs> dreading the day when it becomes not obvious uh, to people what this movie is doing. Do you think and we're I, far from that? I don't think we are far from it. But the idea, of course, it's, I mean, it's it's mostly dealing with race. Right. Right? And a few other things. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have this um, uh, uh, railroad that's being built right. um, uh, by the Chinese and African Americans. And uh, one of the African Americans is Cleavon mm-hmm. Little. Now, originally, of course, he was supposed to be played by, uh, by uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, but Pryor was deemed too threatening. <laughs> For for too threatening and controversial, so uh, they went and they changed him out, switched him out, and put in Cleveland Little instead. Which is this is the same year. Remember when Pryor did Uptown Saturday Night? He had yes. that small part. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, I can see it. He is, he is certainly. There's an edge there that's um, oh, yeah, yeah. difficult to suppress. Right. Yeah. So Cleveland Little um, basically plays um, a, a black, you know, railroad worker mm-hmm. post Civil War who's who's um, just sick of being treated like. Shed. Like black Americans were treated, right. basically, right? <laughs> and I mean, it's a, they're but, trying to build a they're trying to build a a, a section of track over some uh, quicksand, and they're like, lay down there, nigga. <laughs> Can I say the word? I guess you're gonna have to. That's I right. guess I'm gonna have to. You know, like listen, they're basically saying, lay down across that. You know, lay down across. We're gonna put the the, the tracks over your back to cross the uh, to cross that. He and his buddy um, accidentally drive the handcart into the quicksand, right? And the handcart. And the two guys are, are uh, sinking, and along comes the railroad boss, played by a great Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. And he goes, oh, my God, this is happening. And he he, starts, he makes a lasso, and he throws the lasso. <laughs> and you soon realize he's pulling the car the out. It's like, God damn, you nearly lost a $400 hand car. And these guys are going down. So they make their way out, and it's like it begins oh, with rebellion, right? Yeah. He smacks him over there with a shovel. Mm-hmm. Um 
Uh, and so, yeah, continue. So, okay, so yeah, I mean, so Cleavon is. Uh, I mean, obviously, by the way, the whole thing is a parody of, of High Noon in, in many ways, right? High Noon, couple and a couple, and oh, also Once Upon a Time in the West. Okay. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of movies sort of being dragged into this. Again, it's a satire parody. Yeah. With a, with a with a loving overtone, and it's and it's used in this. It's such a great combination of little elements coming together in this thing. So they yeah, so they bail the uh, they bail the um, they, they escape from the uh, from the um, uh, from the railroad, right? Wow, yeah. Really yeah. coming together, buddy. Yeah, I like that, all right? Yeah, so. <laughs> Coherence, the movie. Uh, shut up. All right, so... so, so um, he, he it goes it, to a town. Well, it cuts away, actually, because there's all this sort of webbing. It's classic sort of Mel Brooks, right? Mel Brooks is the governor of this unnamed state. Right. And um, Headley... Has ch- this fucking movie is single-handedly, single-handedly made it impossible to say Hedley Lamore. Hedley, instead of, you mean Hedy. Yes, Hedy, yeah, yeah. So Hedley Lamore, played by the great um, Harvey... Um, Corman. Corman, um, convinces the governor, uh, who's, who's a, a dim-witted um, sex maniac, essentially. Named Mel Brooks. Named way Mel over Brooks, the top. Um, that what, that um, what they ought to do is... Um, uh, basically, cut the strife from the workers and the unions by um, putting this town in peril. Right. And the best way they could put this town in peril is to elect or assign the town a mayor, and the mayor should be black. I'm sorry, a sheriff, and the sheriff should be black. Right. I didn't do much a better job. No, you really did. <laughs> you really fucked that up, man. Yes, right. But anyway, the point is, we have Cleavon Little walking in or riding into town as the new mayor of a town. New that, sheriff. I'm sorry, a new sheriff of the town that just can't obviously handle the or is ready for it at all. No, not in any way, shape, or form, right. And, of course, he's black, so he outsmarts all the crazy white people in the town. Yeah, he I does. Mean, I mean, it's, yeah. it's funny. I, mean, I, I would, I would think that's sort of like an eye roll, except that um, I, that's the thing with actual, I should say, actual active racism. Right. It really does denote, if not a me- mental deficiency, then stupidity. The stupidity. It just yeah. does, and so it's <laughs> a I, level of ignorance that, that qualifies as stupid. I buy it that this town that's so overtly racist is also just to be outwitted by this guy. By one, one black yeah. guy, yep. And then they're also, this is another sort of commentary that isn't about race necessarily. All of their leaders, like, like all great bureaucracies, are the stupidest. Yes. Are, are all, Harvey Corman, are Mel Brooks, right. are... Um, and the, the further up the ladder they go, the stupider they are. Yes, yeah. yes. Slim Pickens. Slim yeah, so it's really the whole movie just sort of plays out in this like oh, absurd... it's a little bit of shame too, I guess you say. Yeah, 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 shame. Because sure. the, the sodbusters are trying to get rid of the uh, try, trying to get rid of the sodbusters here. Yeah, the town. So, so it's like I mean, now it's just about like what different situations can Mel Brooks come up with that mm-hmm. are so absurd. Sort of about race. I mean, there's a great a great thing where they decide they're like when he gets to town they're just going to kill him and leave on. Um, Cleavon Little mm-hmm. pulls out a gun, points it at himself, and says, "Nobody move, or the nigger gets it." And the, whole, <laughs> yeah. the whole time, oh, don't do it! I think he's serious. <laughs> yeah. And it's like all you know. <laughs> and he has one ally, and it's the the perpetually alcoholic, drunk Dean G. Wilder, who's beautiful in this. He's wonderfully uh, funny, and happens to be the fastest gun in the west. He's right? the fastest gun in the west. Yeah. He's got the drinking problem, classic mm. sort of. Um, what Bob Mitchum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but the thing is, his humor is so underplayed. Yes, I don't think he speaks. He speaks at half speed the whole thing. His mm-hmm. eyelids are sort of half drawn, mm-hmm. and he is hilarious. Yeah. And and the thing, Cleveland Little isn't like he's the hilarious straight man. 
Which which is yes. an interesting move in comedy. It's right. not a usual thing, which right? Would make, which 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 begs the question: What would this movie have looked like with Richard Pryor in the middle of it? Yeah, I, I know what really you mean. Begs that question. I'm intrigued to know. He would have embraced like strutting, for instance, right? Yes. And it might have might have undone the whole thing. I, I kind of agree with the choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's just all these like great little scenes. An old woman brings him a pie, um, and she delivers it through a window, <laughs> and then he shuts the shades, and then she there's a knock, and he. He, the shades go up and she says of course you'll have the good taste not to tell anyone I was seen talking to you yes ma'am yes well it wasn't she the one who said screw you nigger yeah <laughs> yeah like, 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 nigger. One, of his, one of his first poking his head around the town yeah it's just a film that just so ridicules racism primarily exactly yeah um, but also I would say like sort of like power structures in general I guess you know and it's like god it's so funny it's such a great tool yeah um, but yeah I think just, uh, and again a movie that's unmakeable now yeah well we talked about that when when they made like a single um, remake of um, All in the Family and the Jeffersons I guess recently right with Norman Lear's permission, and it's an interesting thought experiment, but it's anything that that would have like an ongoing series, I don't think it would work. And the same thing here, yeah. I don't know how. I, yeah, I, it'd be interesting because the, the, I mean, one of the problems with remakes that I have, mm-hmm. in combination with the, I guess, with the PC culture, is I used to hate remakes because it's like, hey, there's an idea, get a new idea, right? right. And then you know, I've softened toward them, and it's like sometimes remakes aren't even really remakes anyway. They just and take the name. Some, some, of the, some of Hollywood's best work has been remakes. Let's be honest. Wait a minute. Oh, like talking. Talk. Keep going. Yeah. Well, that maybe that's, that's one I was thinking yeah, of too. That's the one I could think of right off the bat. But, I, but okay, I'll go with you that, that maybe early on that was happening because sure. some of them were silent or whatever. But but the but point is, a lot of the remakes are just like let's just do the same story, but we'll make them women. Right. There's like there's like mm-hmm. the women Ghostbusters, and it, you know what? Guess what? It wasn't very good. Not yeah. because women couldn't be funny. Maybe if they'd been in the original movie, it would have been funny. It's because all you did was change the identity. Or yeah, I don't, did right. you see the Black Honeymooners? Mm-hmm. No, no. It was a movie. Shut First up. of all, doing a movie on the honeymoon is kind of weird anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's sort of like all you did was make Ralph black. That doesn't really do anything. Right. It's lazy. Yes. Not because he's black, but I mean it's because it's a lazy, lazy idea. Just to, I just want to clarify what I meant there. All right, Joey. It's okay. okay. All right. Put your harmonica down. All right. So um, anyway, so uh, it's just, it's an amazing fucking blazing saddles. Blazing saddles. Is, I remember I used to watch. I, wa- I here's the thing. I remember the first time I really watched that movie because yeah. I didn't like. I didn't get it when I was younger. Of course, I watched yeah. it a couple of times. I didn't get a lot of the humor. Mm-hmm. There was this one scene I when uh, when I was rewatching because when I did watch it, I was watching it on local television. Everything's heavily edited for family oh, content at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know they were farting. Yes. They cut the farting out of that one scene. There's yeah. a scene where a bunch of cowboys are sitting around. They're all eating beans because that's all cowboys do. And they're all farting their heads off, yeah. of course. Yeah. Which is which is like an of course joke. It's such a great joke. Yeah. It's of course and it's super silly. Yeah. And it makes you laugh. And it, you're right. It's aimed at a fucking nine-year-old or something like that. But I didn't even know that existed yeah. the first several times I watched it. Yeah. So I finally watched it without that, that editing. I was like, ah, oh, this is fucking genius. It's the, it's a That's mix- a scene I wanted in every cowboy movie. It's a mixture of there. all these things. Well, my favorite line is... Um, 
when they're trying to outrun um, the railroad company uh, and um, Slim Pickens is leading this posse to, to get them and they put a, a phone booth I mean I'm sorry a, a toll booth <laughs> in the desert booth in their and so they get in it, the desert instead of going around it like any normal person Slim Pickens says somebody's better better go back and get a shitload full of nickels <laughs> and it's just like it's so absurd but and, and it's a movie that in the last 10 minutes falls apart for me when it does the whole meta thing yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah. you know Dom DeLuise is a weird director and it's it's a very very strange move I guess he just didn't know how to end it yeah uh, I, I think that's actually pretty clear yeah but otherwise it's but everything else I, I really have a hard time there are things that I just I have a hard time trusting people if they don't like and I've really tried to limit that in my life because you can't do that too much. The older I get, the more I try to limit like that kind of judgment on people. Right. But I don't know, like watching Blazing Saddles and not thinking it's funny it just seems so. Yeah, it's one of those things where you, like, to me. It's, yeah, you get. I, I think I passed the point where like I don't trust you if you've never seen The Godfather. But if you don't like Blazing Saddles, there's something there's yeah. something you and I don't have in common for sure. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, Let's, now, now I think we're, we agree that this is our favorite. Of all numbers, oh, this films. last one coming up, yeah, yeah. yeah so seventy four is, and, and I have to say this one of my top twenty. Oh, okay, of all time maybe. It doesn't rate that high for me, but I do, I do like it every time every I see time it. I see it. It's nineteen seventy four's Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Frau Luca. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still don't know what that joke is really supposed to be. It isn't. Uh, this, that's what's brilliant about it. That's why. I mean, look. I'm now. I'm. I'm just telling stories secondhand. I have no idea. But I've heard enough about the note process in mm -hmm. Hollywood, especially with television, right, like right. producers who mm -hmm. have notes for people. Mm -hmm. And it's like I think that's something that. Thank God he had enough power. He done. He had done Blazing Saddles the year before. Yeah. Because I can see that being noted away. <laughs> like, well, what? Does it make sense? And it doesn't have to make sense. It's yeah. an absurd sort of moment. <laughs> That every time this lady's name is mentioned, a horse whinnies. Yeah, off in the back. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. It doesn't matter where the fuck she is, she could be in the middle of a bank vault and you'd still be able to hear a horse or something. Yeah. Ah, so, so this movie is filled with so many jokes. And then again, I think this is really a case where Gene Wilder was co writer on this thing and he, he had a lot of input on this stuff. There's a famous thing about like the, the dance sequence. You, you heard about that? Uh, what about it? Well, that, that, that uh, Mel Brooks thought it was stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him. I told you that. No, I've heard of some guy I gave you that piece of oh, trivia. what? Uh, I remember you going like, really? Oh, please. I think uh, I was trying to make you feel Thank you for telling me this for the first time. I've never heard it before. I don't think I said direct that quote. ever. That doesn't even sound quote. like my words. Anyways, yeah. Enough of uh, Joe's nonsense. So, so uh, uh, young Frankenstein is uh, Gene Wilder is the uh, young young Doctor Frankenstein. Frankenstein. He's changed his name or the pronunciation, but embarrassment. Uh, it's his, his it's his uh, grandfather, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Our grandfather. Yeah. So, so, so we got that down. Right. So grandfather finally dies, and uh, young young Doctor Frankenstein inherits his castle and all yeah. of his goods and stuff like that. L laboratory. Frank Frankenstein is embarrassed because of the because of the, the the monster and the the horrible deeds of his grandfather and all like yeah. that. But he still he's going to take this. Uh, he's going to he, he wants he makes to go. Clear, there's a great opening scene where he makes clear his disdain for his grandfather and all his work. Right. And that whole like, that whole fucking opening scene is amazing. It's to just me. amazing. Like he's <laughs> insistent. 
assistance on Give the pronunciation of his. Oh yeah, for hitting, hitting the guy, the old man in the balls. Yeah, he's trying to do like some kind of fucking stabbing, like, stabbing like, himself with a scalpel. Like, they're doing an experiment. Where he's trying to prove that you could block pain on a person by by pitching their neck. So he puts this thing on this guy's neck. Obviously a, a hobo. Yeah, they picked out of some slum somewhere and gave him ten bucks just to be a medical experiment. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh god damn it. Okay. Yeah, so. I'm just like oh, uh, uh, but your grandfather's work. My grandfather's work was doo doo. Doo-doo. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, he goes there. Um, he has a, a fiance played Doo-doo. by the great Malakon. Oh, Malakon. Yes. Who we didn't mention, by the way, in in Sleeping uh, Blazing Saddles. Oh right. She, as oh I mean, God. just fucking. Uh, yeah. Oh my she's God. So good. She's so good. She's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so she's um, the sort of frigid. Fiance mm-hmm. of Doctor Frankenstein, yes, played by Gene Wilder, who she arrives can, in the town. He can't kiss her anywhere on her face because of her makeup. Yeah, it's really great. He has an assistant, who, the young Terry Gar, oh, stunning, even in black and white. Yes. Oh, and an even better assistant, I, Mr. Uh, Marty Feldman, <laughs> Igor, Igor, yeah, it's Igor. No, it's he's got, Igor. He's got this hump that keeps sort of changing <laughs> direction a, throughout the thing. He's got a hump on his back, but it shifts from one shoulder to the other. Sometimes it's not even there. But it's got, you know, now it's, it's got... It's a running gag about his hump. It's got, before we get to the... I mean, it basically it just it, it parallels the, the, the young Frankenstein. Spoof, yeah, I mean, spoof, sorry, the, spoof the spoof Frankenstein, Frankenstein story, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but, but, but here's the thing, too. This is also a miracle of casting. Like, the cast in this movie yeah. is perfect all the way across the board. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it starts with Marty Feldman. Marty Feldman's just his ability to be just to be completely bananas yeah. is fucking amazing. Like he's just sexually harassing every single fe- fe- female thing yeah. in this movie yeah. in a way that's just clownish and beautiful. It's hard to it's, 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 it's you have to watch it. Yeah, this is the thing where he's like trying to like Madeline Kahn has like a has like a stole with like fox heads on it. At one point, he's like biting one of the fox heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah, he's just way over the top and brilliant. Well, also like his physicality, right? Like yeah. it's hard to hard to for him to not be funny on sight in a way, right? Right. Um, and then you have Peter Boyle as the monster. Yes. Um, and Peter Boyle's great. Yeah. I had no idea. It's funny, by the way. Um, he. Makes reference to something in Young Frankenstein when he's in Taxi Driver. Really? Yeah, and then I, he used to play the old father in Everybody Loves Raymond. Right. Which is kind of a I, it's not a good show, but he but he's on it and and he one time had this really sly speech that was a copy of the speech he gave Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. Really? This is a guy who loved to sort of just move like little names <laughs> from one thing to the other. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, so sorry I went a little tangent there, but but yeah, I mean this. It's more just like what's the opportunity for a gag, right? The 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 policeman oh, with yes. with, a, with the wooden hand, which right? is like from an old. I don't remember which which Frankenstein movie that's from, but the, yeah, the 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 policeman who uh, fears the original monster because it ripped off his arm. So he's yeah, got yeah. this wooden arm, now. right? And so they they do a complete they do a they do a satire on him that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, who's the name of the guy who did that one? I don't, I don't know, remember. but but uh, and and of course in the novel um, the monster. Drowns the girl, right? Right. Um, but here it's like he actually <laughs> sits on a teeter totter and catapults her into a lake. Right. I mean, everything. It's just everything. No, no, into her bedroom. Oh, that's right. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> either way, either way. Either way. Right. It's just, it's just, this absurd. I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's got, it's got a cameo by uh, what's uh, Gene Wilder as the blind yeah, Gene. Yeah, sorry. Gene Hackman as the old blind man who's so lonely, and of course he's blind, so he keeps like he keeps like burning and torturing the uh, the yeah. creature yeah. until it runs out. Come back. We'll, was I, that, we'll was make espresso. Was that man in the uh, was was that man in the novel? 
I don't remember it was in the novel, but it was in one of the older movies. It was. Yeah, I think uh, it was like in the first movie, yeah. That's interesting. And the little girl he did throw into a lake in the movie. Right. Right, but, yeah. So, anyway, so this is this kind of crazy satire yeah. uh, leads to what I consider maybe one of the funniest scenes ever captured on, on, a, on a movie screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, I said, let it go. Let it go. Let's go watch the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing one. And plus, and plus there's no need to figure out like how to end the movie. I mean, it could just. It, it, it's also playing around with like conventions of the '40s, like RKO type, like uh, cinematography. You know, oh, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah. Um, anyway. Sweet mystery of life, at last I found you. Watch the movie. You'll know. Okay, listen, people. Uh, Mel Brooks had uh, two good movies. Maybe another. <laughs> hey, I think we've covered it all pretty. We've well, covered a good movie. It, it, you know, we've done three movies to cover his entire career here. So yeah, bye. Uh, see you, Tommy. <laughs> all right, take care, Joe. <laughs>